Wow, so that was fun. That's fun. I always love singing with my church family, even when, yeah, even when, even when. Hey, listen, I just, I will take a quick moment. A lot of you have asked, and a lot of you will continue to ask, and, and we're not tired of your asking. I just wish there was a recorder. I could just say the same thing over and over and over. Um, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's been, well, wow, just a roller coaster the last few days, and um, I started typing out something in, in the ICU this week, and I just entitled three lessons I've learned from the ICU, and I want to share them with you real quick. Number one, uh, life is fragile, and uh, we forget that sometimes. I forget that all the time, and it's moments like this that you're reminded it can be taken away, and in a moment, uh, Linda mentioned the, the breath being a gift from God, and well, you just don't see it that way sometimes until you can't breathe, right? It's like when we're sick, <laughs> you know, we take for granted our health and then we get sick and we're like, oh God, if you'll ever let me be healthy again, I'll, I'll praise you and then we get healthy again and we're like, we forget. We forget that how blessed we are when, when we can walk and when we can talk and we, when we can breathe and when we can just do life as normal people do life. But um, yeah, we just, it, like I said, it's been a whirlwind. I just wrote this, I think this is crazy. Um, Woke up Wednesday feeling normal, uh, by midday not feeling normal, uh, by afternoon feeling horrible, to urgent care, to the emergency room, to the ICU, to the TCU, and back home hooked up to oxygen within 48 hour window. <laughs> uh, so it was quite a whirlwind. And, um, and so we just, we're never guaranteed another day, we're not guaranteed another conversation, we're not guaranteed another breath, so take advantage of every moment we are given this great gift from God. Uh, the second lesson, probably the most profound lesson I've learned over this last week is, uh, at least for me, it is easier for me to serve than to allow people to serve me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's humbling, and um, I'm used to being on the front lines of helping serve. I don't like being on the opposite end of that where I feel like, well, I should be doing something here. Um, I just want to say you guys have wrapped yourselves in the servant's towel and it has looked well on you this week. Uh, through all the prayers, the texts, the phone calls, the I showed up one night and there's like three ladies cleaning my house and uh, cooking meals. Like, uh, I shouldn't share this, but I overshare sometimes. I'm going to share it. Uh, who started that meal thing? Was that your... If, yeah. Steve, quit taking glory, okay. I texted somebody one morning going, hey, I appreciate that, but I got a complaint. Um, why two weeks? It's way too long. And their response was, shut up or we'll add another week. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know what it is. It, maybe it's pride. Maybe that's exactly what it is when we don't uh, want people to serve us. And so maybe I need to repent from that. Anyway, I just want to say you've wore the the servant's towel well, and you have served Andy and I and the family and cared for us. You've loved us like Jesus, and you continue to. I really believe um, everybody on has told us, tell us if you need something, and we all say that, right? I really believe my church family means that. I really think I could ask for anything, and I would have gotten it this week, and would probably still. In fact, I told Andy, this is so crazy. We might just want to do this twice a year or something like that, because... <laughs> This is, this is weird, man, just people bringing us food and, yeah, cleaning our house. Wow, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, it makes me just, hey, here's what it's done. It has 
opened my eyes to the benefit of allowing people to serve you. And it, it, has, it has ignited me to, I can't wait to get beyond this so I can, it has ignited a fire to serve better and to love you better. And uh, I think that's probably how God set it up. You know, as we serve one another, we're like, whoa, that was really helpful and beneficial. I wanna, I wanna do that towards others. And that's exactly what it's done. So thank you so much. And then the third thing is, uh, there is absolutely no reason that the mayo packets and the tartar sauce packets should be the same color in the cafeteria in the hospital. But that's a story for another day. I won't, I won't go into details there. Uh, so anyway, thank you. And I know Andy, she would have loved to be here today, but she's it's probably about a week away from getting out of the chair, hopefully. So uh, she will recover. It just takes a little while. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Matthew. Um, as you're going to Matthew chapter 12, let me... Uh, look ahead a little bit, and I might even skip this passage once we finally get there, depending on uh, where we're at. But much later in the book of Matthew, we're going to come across this text, this passage, where um, a group of religious experts are going to show up. And they're going to ask Jesus a question, hoping that they can trick him into saying something that will condemn himself. And by the way, that's just what they do. They, they follow Jesus everywhere, hoping to trip him up, trick him up, say ask a question that would get him to answer it the wrong way so they could condemn him. And in fact, we're gonna see that in our passage today in Matthew 12. But here's, here's the question that the, the religious expert showed up asking Jesus in Matthew 22. It says, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in all of the law of Moses? Over 300, I don't remember exactly how many laws, but over 300-something laws in the Old Testament. And here's these experts in the law. They know the law. They're there to trap them, right? What's the most important command out of all of them? If you could only have one, Jesus, not hundreds. If you could only give us one, what would that one law be? And here was Jesus' answer in verse 37. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest Commandment. Now, nothing controversial about that, right? Creation commanded to love their creator with all of their God-created being. Makes sense. But Jesus doesn't stop there. In verse 39, he says, a second command as equally important. So it's not 1A and 1B here. It's not 1-2. It's not even 1A and 1B. It's love God and right up there with it, he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus connects two commands, implying they are inseparable. You can't divorce these two ideas. To love God is to love people, and to love people is to love God. But it's even deeper than that. Jesus is actually telling us that we can't love God without loving people. We cannot purposely be at odds with others and be in good standing with God. We talked about that in Matthew chapter 5, right? Remember that from eight months ago, chapter 5? Jesus says, if we come bringing gifts to God and we remember while we're there that we're at odds with someone, we're to do what? We're to leave the gift on the altar, go and reconcile as much as possible for us, and then we come back and we offer our gift to the Lord in worship. Loving God and loving people is inseparable. But Jesus isn't done. Look what he says in verse 40. 
the entire law. Every demand, every command that was given by the prophets are based on these two commands. Jesus says, you, all those hundreds of laws that you experts are talking about right now, I just want you to know this. They're all, they were all given with these two in mind. Love God, love people. Every law that God gave and every demand given by the prophets was given by love and for love. That's important as we move on through our text today. Every law, let's just get this. Every law was given to motivate us towards love for God and love for one another. So here's our big idea today. The priority for the Christian is love. The priority for the Christian is love. If we use the law of God to do unloving things, we are doing it wrong. Every law is driven by love. So the question is not, is, it, is this the lawful thing to do? The question is, is this the loving thing to do? I think that's some pretty wise counsel there. What if we just lived our lives going around asking that question? What did they just say about me? How should I respond? Well, what's the loving way? to respond. Again, summary, and we're moving into our text. The priority for the Christian is love, and the question is, what is the thing to do? Matthew chapter 12. Starting in verse one, it says, about, at about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were what? So they began breaking off the heads of grain and eating them. But some of the Pharisees saw them do it and they protested and then we would say, of course they did. This is what they did. They were professional protesters. They just followed Jesus around protesting everything he did. Here's what they protested. Verse two, look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Verse three, Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priest are allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priest on, the duty, on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here that is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Listen, Religion will always demand sacrifice over mercy. Religion will always demand sacrifice over mercy. And Jesus says, no, if you would have understood the scripture five different times in the Old Testament, I want mercy over sacrifice. 
verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord, even Lord of the Sabbath. I love that. Verse 9. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue, and when he got there, he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And the Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping, again, here's their motive. They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered them in verse 11. If you had a sheep and it fell into the well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull the sheep out? And he doesn't even give him a chance to answer. Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than sheep? Again, don't miss this. The root of religion's problem is that the law is valued above people. Religion always values rules over relationships. Jesus continues, verse 12. Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Verse 13, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Look at me. If Mitch can't get us motivated to worship after that speech, not really a speech, it was God's word, right? That energy, come on. A dude coming into the church with a deformed hand and it being healed in the service, that better have us running circles, right? Then the Pharisees called a meeting so they could plot how to kill Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing a man's arm miraculously healed and your first instinct is let's kill the healer? Kill them. That's where the Pharisees were at because man-made religion hates Jesus. Jesus came to abolish everything they had built their careers on. So the two stories that we have in our text this morning are both connected to this Sabbath. Now, maybe you're well versed in what that means, but if you're not, let's just do a quick, let's do some groundwork here for a moment. What is the Sabbath? So here's a quick rundown. Sabbath comes from a Hebrew word meaning rest. That's what Sabbath means, to rest. We first see it in the creation story, right? In the beginning, everything that God created, he created in six days. In the, I love that the last verse of chapter one of Genesis, it says that God looked over everything he created and he declared it very good. But in verse one of chapter two, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. So why did God rest? Was God tired? Did God need a nappy nap? Absolutely not. Of course not. This is so fascinating to me. This is how much our Heavenly Father loves us. God rested to, an, to establish an example and a schedule of what rest looks like because he knew that we would need rest. 
I'll show you that in a moment from scripture. And not just physical rest. Sabbath was really created for spiritual rest. Last week we said that God's word is pertinent because um, for, for soul rest, we talked about soul rest last week, this week's Sabbath rest. But we talked about how God's word is so instrumental in that because it daily reminds us of who God is and what God has done for us. Sabbath was established by God for the very same purpose. And we, we get to Exodus and God is making this nation, right? The nation of Israel, he's making them his people, his nation. And he's given them the, the big 10, right? The big 10 commandments of, in Exodus chapter 20. And in verse eight, one of those commandments, he says this, remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. I love that. Notice he doesn't say, um, make it holy. He says, keep it holy. Because God declared it holy in Genesis 2, so we don't have to work to make the Sabbath do or be anything. We keep the Sabbath. We just rest in what God's already done. Okay, he goes on verse 9. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your son, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, your foreigners that are living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So why is the Sabbath important? Well, we know why in theory because one of the hardest things for us to do as human beings is rest isn't it? It's hard to rest because there's always something to do. There is always something to think about. There's always something to plan out. There's always something to worry about. There's always, we're always, we seem to always be going and doing. And if we're not going and doing, then we're planning on the next trip of going and doing. We work so much because there is always work to be done. And, and hear me, we're getting to the root of this thing. And at the root of our heart is this lurking idea that if we don't do it, it won't get, or it won't get done right. And that is pride. Sabbath says, be still and know that you are not God. That's what Sabbath is declaring as we rest. Sabbath says rest in knowing that the world functions without us because it's God that is sovereign, not us. If I died today, the world would keep spinning. If I died today, DeSoto would not miss a beat. This church would keep moving forward. My family, hopefully they'd be sad for a few days, but they would survive. Sabbath reminds us that God is in control and he isn't dependent on us to do anything. Sabbath reminds us that God doesn't need us, he wants us. Sabbath demands us to trust God above ourselves. I can't stop or it won't get done. Then it doesn't get done. You stop and you rest. You're not God. Sabbath is probably at the top of the list of spiritual disciplines that we have lost in the modern church. 
right? The New Testament church began gathering and worshiping together on the first day of the week in recognition of what? The resurrection, right? The resurrection of Jesus. So the church started gathering that day to celebrate. And unfortunately, over time, we have stopped the practice of Sabbath. And as a result, we have forgotten how to rest well, and it shows. It's sin, and it needs to be addressed accordingly. Sabbath is still necessary in the life of the church. We need to be still and rest and trust that God's work is sufficient in us and through us. God's in control. We're not. Man, I am preaching to myself here. So that's enough groundwork. Back to our text. Jesus is dealing, by the way, Jesus here in our text is dealing with the other extreme, right? The, the Pharisees weren't neglecting the Sabbath, they were abusing the Sabbath. And that's, that's the two extremes. That's what religion does. It either says, I don't need it, or it needs some tweaking. You know, God gave us a great idea, but I think I can add some things to it to make it a little better. That's what religion does. Like, I don't need it, or it needs to be worked on. It needs some work fixing, right? So here, the Pharisees, um, they, they, listen, I had to read this in the commentary. I didn't know this. The Pharisees had established at least 39 categories of actions forbidden on the Sabbath based on interpretations of God's law and Jewish custom. 39 categories. Wow. It's crazy. And by the way, harvesting was one of those no-nos on the Sabbath. By picking wheat and rubbing it in their hands, the disciples, right, were technically harvesting according to the Pharisees. The problem is the disciples weren't harvesting, were they? They were hungry. And so they picked some grain to eat. But listen, religion says that it would be better to go hungry than to break the law. But allowing people to go hungry when there's food to eat doesn't seem to me to be the most loving thing to do, does it? But religion isn't loyal to love. Religion is loyal to the law. That's religion at its core. Protect the law even at the expense of people. And I've seen it with my own eyes. We have rules here. And if you can't keep our standard of rules, you're not welcome here. And God help us if we ever get to the place that we say you're not welcome here. May he knock this building down. I have seen church people be so mean to others in the name of Jesus. The law without love is an ugly thing that, is, that has left scars on people all around the world. If you have been in church for any time at all, you have scars. Look at me. If you have been in church for any time at all, you've probably caused some scars.
Religion says you do what you're told or get out. And Jesus showed up and he said, I am the greater temple. You can't do it. That's why I did it. Come to me and Sabbath. Come to me and rest. The Pharisees worked hard to press people into their mold of what Sabbath should be. But Jesus says in Mark 2 that Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. Not for people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. How did the Pharisees miss that? Jesus says the Sabbath wasn't created, or people weren't created to fulfill the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to benefit, to help people because it comes from a law of loving God and loving people. So every law that we have made such a vicious, every law that we've used to cause scars, like, no, God originally gave that law out of love, out of love. Sabbath was created for us, not us for the Sabbath. I love Jesus' response here to the Pharisees, reminding them of what David did. I won't read it again, but you can read that story in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Jesus used David's example because he knew that the Pharisees would not condemn David, <laughs> even though technically David had broken the law. And don't misunderstand Jesus in this text. He's not condoning disobedience to God's law. Instead, he was emphasizing discernment and compassion in enforcing the law, something that religion leaves out. There is no compassion. There's rules. You keep them or you get out. Jesus says that's not why the law was given. It's like somebody driving down the highway and they're like, who gave them the right to put that guardrail up there? If I want to drive off that bridge, I should be able to drive off that bridge, right? That guardrail wasn't put, in, put up to chain us, to keep us from enjoying the free fall. It was there to protect us. That's what the law was meant to do, and yet instead of it becoming something that brought freedom, it brought so much Chains and bondage. Mercy over sacrifice. Again, a principle that was emphasized, emphasized over five different passages in the Old Testament. Mercy over sacrifice because every law hangs on two things. Loving God, loving people. So the church can't use religion as an excuse to hate people. Stick to my notes. So next, Jesus goes into the synagogue, right? And the Pharisees start questioning him again. Verse 10, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? Short answer found in verse 12. Yes, Jesus says the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Longer answer is verse 11. If you had a sheep that fell into the well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. Jesus here is exposing the hypocrisy of religion. None of us can keep the law. And we are much more judgmental of others in their law-breaking than we are in our own law-breaking. You see, we all have our certain set of rules. And usually we set up our set of the rules by the ones we're best at keeping. Right? 
religious people would rather others go hungry to to observe the Sabbath as long as it's not them hungry. Religious people would rather people go unhealed to protect the law as long as they're not the one needing healing. That's what Jesus is after. If you had a sheep in the ditch and it's the Sabbath, you're telling me you're going to wait till the next day. You're going to let your sheep hang out there doing whatever sound a sheep makes when it's in the ditch. And you're just going to listen to that because of the day that's on the calendar. That's what you're telling me? You Pharisee vipers. Every name Jesus, right? Jesus gets into the same argument, by the way, and I like this argument even better in Luke 14 because he's at the house of one of these these prestigious Pharisee leaders, right? And there's a guy at the party that's sick and the tension in the room is rising (laughs) because the religious people, the Pharisees are watching Jesus and they're watching Jesus watch this man that's sick and they know Jesus is wanting to heal him, but Jesus also knows it's the Sabbath. And if he heals him, it's gonna be Jesus and this Hill man against the room. And they're going to be out for blood. And Jesus begins reason with them in Luke 14. You can read it. It's a fascinating story. But he's reasoning in the same way that he's reasoning here in Matthew 12. He says, you're, he doesn't use a sheep. He uses an ox. Like, it's grown. The animal's grown, right? He says, you're telling me that if your ox fell in the ditch and it's the Sabbath you're not going to get your ox out of the ditch. You're going to wait till the very next day. Of course you're not going to wait. You're going to get your ox out of the ditch because it's your ox, but you're okay with your neighbor's ox staying in the ditch. I, that, that's not actually in the text. I'm just filling in the, right? I'm sure there was lots of argument that didn't show up. I, in fact, let me take a little bit more interpretation liberty here. That's a little scary. He goes on to say, not just talk the example of the ox. He just says, but what if it's your son? Jesus is saying, hey, put yourself in the shoes of this man that's hurting in constant pain. You're telling me if that was you. You're telling me if that was your son. You're telling me that if that was your daughter and I had the power to heal them right now. You're telling me, Jesus, it's the Sabbath. Let them suffer another day. Okay, again, you won't find that in the story, but I'm just, I, I think that the, as the tension's rising in the room, Jesus is like, really? As he's reasoning with them, you're telling me if that's your son and I could just go, and they'd be healed, you don't want me to do that? Of course you want me to do that. but you don't want me to do it here because it's not your son. Jesus is exposing the hypocrisy of the law was given to love. What's the most loving thing? If I can heal him, I have the power to heal him, and I want to heal him in this moment. What's more loving, to heal him or not heal him? And I don't care what day it says it is on the calendar. It's good to do good on the Sabbath, because the Sabbath, you weren't created to obey the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created to benefit you. The prior, I'm gonna say it again, the priority of the Christian is love, not rule keeping. 
love. The question isn't, is it lawful? The question is, is it loving? Loving God and loving people is our only responsibility. How do I know that? If you were asleep when we started. Out of all of the law, what is the most important? That's it. All of the other ones, all of them hang on those two. Not one A, one B. One, love God, love people. Even people that break God's law. Can I say something that's a little convicting for me? Even people who celebrate breaking God's law. Those are the people I really struggle to love. People over politics. People over programs. People over policies. We can Sabbath from being the judge and the executioner because that job's already taken. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God for my behalf because he's more gracious than you would be with me. And thank God on your behalf because he's more gracious with you than I would be. Right? You can rest from that. You don't have to go around rule checking. Right? It's not your responsibility. You do the loving thing. You let God do the judging thing. We can Sabbath from trying to change people. We don't have that much power. We can pray to the one who has that power. We can Sabbath from trying to fix everything because God's in control. We can Sabbath and trust God. That's why we've started trying to create more opportunities at the end of our services to come to the Lord's table and to take of the cup and to take of the bread because of once again, it reminds us that God can be trusted because of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. Listen to me. We can Sabbath today because Jesus suffered our shame and our guilt as the whip ripped apart the flesh on his back. We can Sabbath today because Jesus took the nails piercing into his hands and his feet and the crowns trenched into his skull. We can Sabbath in Christ knowing his spilt blood bought our freedom from sin and death. You don't have to leave here today working for your salvation. You can Sabbath. You don't have to leave here today working on how I can pay back God, how I can redeem all of this guilt and this shame. You can't. You can't. 
God, listen, Jesus went to Calvary. He went to the cross. And the last thing he said was, it is So why are we trying to finish it? For the church to be unable to Sabbath is saying God's finished work isn't sufficient. I've got to do my part. I've got to do my thing. I've got to, I've got to make up for all of the lost time. I've got to make up for this past week. I've made some really bad decisions. Today we're going to end by coming to the Lord's table and it's a time to just remind our souls to rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The invitation is this, come and dine. Come and be still and know God. Come and Sabbath. Come and rest in his work. Jesus has declared it is finished. And today we're gonna end with communion, trusting his work and trusting his word. Amen? This is great news if you've come in here with a lot of guilt and shame because in a moment I'm I'm going to ask you to raise the cup and to raise the bread and say, no more. He took my shame and my guilt upon himself. No more trying to work for my salvation or just make sure the balance is right. I do more good than bad. You're gonna lose. <laughs> you're gonna lose. Your, your heart is wicked. And you're gonna do everything you can to try to convince yourself you are God and you have to fix it and you have to get the work done and nobody else can do it like you, so you've got to do it. And today God's saying, hey, you can't do it like me. So stop trying. It's finished. Sabbath. Rest. Not just your soul, but you take time out of your day. There's some practical things. I, I'm, I'm going to ramble now. We need to stop. There's some practical at, at, uh, obedience, I think, to this. We have got, you don't have to take a day. It doesn't have to be Saturday. You don't have to observe the Sabbath, okay? Again, I hope you've learned that from this sermon. But what wisdom it is for us to build Sabbath into our lives, daily, weekly, month, yearly, you would think vacation is that. It's not. When I go on vacation, I do more work, in my mind at least. We went to the beach last summer, wrote five sermons on the beach <laughs> for a camp I was getting ready to preach. And I came home going, yeah, I would, don't feel very rested. Because we're not good at, even when we're trying to rest, we're busy doing something <laughs> that we're not really, and it's not about just, I came home physically rested, right? But emotionally and spiritually and mentally exhausted. Sabbath is this great wisdom for us. Take time where you just stop. Because Sabbath says, hey, you're not God. Be still. The hardest thing for human beings. It's awkward right now. I just got still for like three seconds and it got awkward, right? Because we don't like that. The most awkward thing for us is to be still. Father, would you teach us again how to be still? Not for the sake of checking off a box saying we were still, but for the purpose of knowing you. 
knowing we're not God and knowing you are God and that you are sufficient and that you are sovereign and that your work on our behalf is complete, finished. God, may we preach today to our shame and our guilt and our sins. God, may we speak today to to whatever that is in us that's already planning out the rest of the day because there's so much to do. You're not calling us to be lazy. You're calling us to Sabbath, to rest, to be still and know you. God, may we be a church. We're already a church that's It's well on our way of learning what it looks like to love and serve. I've been on the serving end, uh, the receiving end of that this week. It's been such a blessing. God, but even in our serving, we can exhaust ourselves if we don't learn to Sabbath. Just be still and rest in your presence. We don't serve to please people or please you. We serve because you have served us. God, would you help us? Maybe today we, as we take communion, it's a time for us to realign our hearts to your, to the desires of your heart. And that is love. Priority is love. May we leave here today not asking, is it lawful? May we leave here today asking, is it loving? Is it beneficial? Is it helpful? God, I pray that you'd bless our time as we, as a family, we break bread and we take of the cup in remembrance of the blood shed and the body broken on our behalf. May we examine our hearts this morning. Not to exclude so that we can repent. And we can rest. Holy Spirit, right now in this room, would you reveal to us places that we're not being still, where we're restless in our minds and restless in our emotions and where we're restless physically and spiritually, would you reveal those things? Again, not to condemn us, but you lovingly push us back into your presence and remind us with the cup, with the bread, it's finished.